I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is a three-time Olympic gold medalist, a USA Swimming Foundation ambassador, and the voice of swimming, NBC's voice of swimming, Rowdy Gaines. Hey, now. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? I know that things are getting crazy right now, but I'm, I want right. people out there, if they're listening, I, this, this, this conversation is going to be, hey, buddy, we're coming up on an eighth Olympic Games and uh, your eighth time, your eighth spin in the chair, and you've been doing this for so long. I, I, want, I, was, I was hoping that we could bring listeners inside your world. And, you know, it's like, what is it like when their behind is, is in that chair? Uh, just out of curiosity, I mean, I, I probably asked you this over the years, but, you know, you started with the triple cast in 1992. Um, you know, did you have nerves? Did you have, did you have like, did, did you, were you someone that was scared when you took your spin in the chair and you had to overcome that fear? Or was it just like, ah, it's just like diving in the pool and swimming? You know, the biggest fear I had, Mel, was actually two years later, 92 was like you said, the triple cast, because it was kind of ahead of its time, right? It was three different channels. You're too, too young to remember three different channels, Olympics, 24 hours a day. Uh, and it really was a great opportunity to kind of uh, uh, cut my teeth, so to speak, in doing something that was live all the time. We called every single prelims. We called every single finals, every 1500, and it really helped me tremendously as far as experience goes, because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I think if I would have gotten over the air job in 92, I don't think I would have called another Olympics. Uh, it just it was it was that that difficult. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Look at Michael Bryan and Mary Wade. I love Mike and Mary. They're they're wonderful people. But that was pretty much it for them. And it was really unfair to them because they had just retired. They had just come onto this scene where. You know, they were just thrown into this world of unknown. It was really unfair. And, and I didn't and I'm glad I didn't end up like that. So for me, uh, a little peek behind the curtain for my personal feelings about 92. I think it was perfect for me. The nervousness really happened in 94 when I auditioned for 96. I had to go to an audition with Greg Gumble, and they told me they didn't tell me what race. I, did you do that, too? In 94? I, no, 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 I didn't do it. I was I was under contract with ESPN. And it was, uh, that was, they, they, I, that was something that no one really knew about. Oh, that's right. I signed with them and did an adventure show. And I'm like, I, I, we can, this is, we can take a sidestep from this and explain this to people. Uh, and, and you can, you might be able to give some advice to, to Olympic peers or anybody out there who wants to do this kind of stuff. You know, I, I made a big mistake early, early on, which was, I didn't want to be a part of swimming. I was like, so fed up with swimming. I remember that. And the and you stepped away from it for a while to do to do something else was very yeah. inviting. I think that a lot of swimmers do that. You didn't make that mistake. 1985 after 84, Rowdy Gaines was engaged and there. And you've always your love for the sport has always been consistent. And, and uh, I don't know how you do it. Well, I, I mean, swimming changed my life, Mel. I mean, I was, you know, we won't get into the 
stupid details of my existence. But, um, you know, when I was 17 years old, I was a, a bit of a wayward kid and didn't really know what they wanted to do with their life and kind of heading into a little bit of a different direction that, you know, certainly wasn't a good one. And uh, swimming changed that. So I owe a lot to the sport, no question about it. But 94 was really nerve wracking because I had no idea what race I was going to call. And you know what? It's so funny. This is really, you'll, you'll enjoy this. I called the men's 100 breaststroke um, from the 92 games, Nelson Diebel, right? And it was one of three races that I knew they were going to show. The other two were the 200 butterfly for men and the 200 IM for women. Those are the three races that were on the docket. It just so happened I got the 100 breasts. I didn't get your race. Um, but uh, I know Matt Biondi auditioned for that one. And I think a cup Bruce Furness, I think, auditioned. And uh, anyway, long story short, I got the job for 96 from that audition. But I was really nervous for that. And, and I get nervous every single Olympics, buddy. I get nervous for the pro swims. You know, I still get butterflies. And uh, I think... Uh, I think that helps me. It helps my in my preparation, um, and it also helps me become better on the air as well because it gets the excitement level. You know, when adrenaline flows, you're going to do better, right? You know, for our audience at SwimSwam, we get the constant. Uh, every everyone wants everyone wants you to just nerd it up. They want you to swim nerd it up, and it, it seems like I always have to step in at some point, or someone else at least does it, and they're like, "Rowdy's." calling races for a network and he's calling races for NBC. He's calling races for people who don't swim yeah. and that's a challenge. And that's, and it's not necessarily for us. And, uh, I, I know that I, I, that, that has to be a little bit frustrating for you at times. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I you and I've talked about this and uh, I, I get frustrated, but I also understand, you know, uh, the, the, the swimming people want to talk more, technical they want to get down and dirty in the weeds and and i get that and and to be honest with you that's not my that's not my forte that's not my wheelhouse there are hundreds of swimmers that would be a much better job as an as a true technical analyst i admit that but nobody can deny my passion seriously man i love swimming and and that's why i get hired you know day in and day out is because my love and my passion i think um translates well to that average audience that we're trying to bring in those people that love swimming and are nerdies that are nerds that you call you know they're they're gonna they're gonna watch swimming regardless who's broadcasting it right i want to bring in people that don't like swimming or don't know anything about swimming and that's my job i mean especially at the olympics dude i have to explain what the backstroke flags are people you know they go what are those flags flying for what are those things at the end of the block I mean, what are those lane lines? Why are the lane lines changing colors? It, you know, it, I wouldn't say you have to dumb it down, but it's a completely different animal when you're calling the Olympics. It sounds, you know, it would, since we're on this topic, and I didn't mean to bring it in this soon, but, it, but since we're on it, we, you, you have had a little bit of a, of a, of a pivot because you, you called ISL for CBS, mm -hmm. and that was a little more, uh, there was some more edge there. Out of dirty, yeah. There. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying that you were happier, but it sounded like you sounded a little bit more like the rowdy games that I know talking to standing on deck. Yeah, it, I loved it. I, I really, I love the moment. I love, 
I guess, you know, the whole bubble like atmosphere too, Mel was cool because it was six weeks of swimming. You know, sometimes we come and go with the, you know, the meets and everything. The pro swims are only one every couple months and you got a couple big meets in the summer, of course, the college meets and everything, but there's not a lot of swimming per se that keeps you busy consistently. And the ISL was like, you know, four days a week for six straight weeks. And it was, you really got into a groove there. So I really loved it. It, it's, it certainly brings a different dynamic to the sport. And uh, I mean, we could get into a whole conversation about IS and what the future looks like, but um, I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed my experience. Uh, Bernie Gunther, the guy that, that I called with, you know, we were, became very good friends and we've been good friends for a long time. And Mark Foster was just awesome. I love Mark. A uh, great guy. He does a great job. And uh, I think the whole team did, did really uh, a stupendous job in Budapest. It was fun. Bring it back to the Olympics. Bring it back to you. Yeah. Know, the, your Olympics starts with the Olympic trials. And this mm-hmm. summer is different. And I always tell people that, uh, you know, the Olympic summer is no different from any other summer. We're still going. We go through a trials meet. We go through an international meet. It's just that that word Olympic is in front of it. <laughs> and it seems like people get nutty. They get a little bit nutty and we spend, <laughs> we burn a whole lot of what I call daylights. You burn right. a lot of daylights and it's stressful and it shouldn't be, but let's just take people inside of your world. How is an Olympic summer uh, run up to trials through the training camp and into the Olympics? How is it different time-wise for you? Because it's, I, I know that it can be pretty intense with the network for such a big telecast. Well, I don't think it's any different from what you go through in Olympic summer and with, with your, your business. I mean, it, 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 it's just more intense. That's all. I mean, with the World Championships, you go there two or three days in advance, right? With the Olympic Games, you go there two or three weeks in advance. Uh, you go through the training camp, something you don't do with the World Championship team. You you spend four or five days with the, with the kids at the training camp. You certainly have a much longer Olympic trials. You know, our Olympic trials for any other big international meet is, you know, four or five days long. And this is a true eight days live every night on NBC. So there's certainly a lot more to it, a lot more intensity because, you know, it's just the nature of our sport, Mel. You know, like it or not, you're remembered by, uh, by the Olympic Games. Uh, there are a lot of incredible swimmers that I could certainly name, um, but that a lot of people don't remember because they never got an opportunity to compete for our country in Olympics. Um, one of our heroes, I know one of yours, certainly one of mine is Craig Beardsley, you know, and this was no fault of his own, but here's a guy in 1980 would have won gold medal by two seconds and then 84 doesn't make it. And so he's a little, a bit of a blip on the radar, which is really unfair, but it's just the nature of the beast of our sport. Um, that's the pinnacle of success for us. That's our Super Bowl. So the preparation has to be more, uh, it has to be more intense and, Quite frankly, it's, it's very time consuming, but I think when you, it's like you, dude, we were just talking about it before we came on air, you're going to be crazy these next three months. Right. But in the end, would you want it any other way? Right. I love that bunker mentality. You know, I love being exhausted and I love getting together with your team and, and you become like a family and this, just like you, you're going to have a family the next three months you're going to be living with Spartan, um, uh, spitting out stories for three months that, you know, you're going, Holy crap, where does this end? Um, but in the end you're like, Oh, you go into a funk, right? You go to a little bit of a grieving period because you really miss it. I don't think they're going to love me at the end of three months. I think they hate me. At the end of three months. <laughs> they're, they're, I think they're already mad at me. 
I, I, <laughs> your sweetheart for bringing up Craig Gooch, like 158.01, right. world record holder. Uh, so I was, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, between that, yeah. you know, 79 and 1983. So yeah. I love Beardsley. And uh, I know. Beardsley we has all a love lot Beards. of space in my mind. He has a lot of real estate in my head. I don't you think he has a lot of space in a lot of people. I mean, we're, we're, we're speaking old. I, I'm sure your audience is going, who the heck is Craig Beardsley? But your audience is old enough to remember, really appreciates and love what Beards has meant to all of us. Oh, yeah. So, it, you know, most people will think, God, I'd like to do what Rowdy does. And it's, uh, you know, it's like this, this has got to be the cushiest, best gig in the world. And I, and I, and I know that it is, I know that it's cool. I know that it's exciting. I understand that you appreciate it. However, um, you do a full day. So, you know, you might, you might, you wake up, tell you know, what time are you waking up in the morning? What time, you know, how do you prep for each session? What's happening in between the sessions, explain the final session and then explain, you know, I, I, I want I want to get the inside view of like those moments where you stay there till one or two in the morning because you got to voice something over. Explain a day like that. So let, let's go back to Rio. So every Olympics is a little different because there's there's live and there's tape, and those are two huge huge differences. And I've done both, and I can tell you, live is so much better. It's more intense. It's more pressure, but it's it, I mean you do it live and you're done. You know, but it is. It is not for the faint of heart. Listen, I'm not complaining. It's like I tell, you know, my dad says his beats digging ditches, you know, so I get it. But it's it's intense. You know, you, you take Rio, for example, forget about the lead up to it. But uh, I mean, a typical day, uh, we are heading to the pool at 6 a.m. Um, we have production meeting. Uh, we study. We go through pronunciations. We go through each swimmer in each race that we're going to uh, televise. Uh, and then we're on at 10 a.m. or whatever time it was. We go till noon and then we go back and we do a post-production meeting. Um, and then we get uh, about about 90 minutes. And that's where a peek behind the curtain, <coughs> Dan and I would literally and Michelle Tafoya back in, um, in Rio, we would find a cot on the floor or some cushions and uh, literally take a nap on the floor. Uh, and then we're back at it again. By uh, by two o'clock with another production meeting and then more studying all night long on the swimmer swimming in the finals. And then we go on at I guess Rio was at like 10 o'clock at night and uh, we ended up uh, around midnight and uh, go back for a quick post-production meeting again and back at the hotel about 2 a.m. And we started all over leaving the hotel at 6 a.m. We do it for eight night eight straight nights. And uh, it's uh, it's monotonous, but it's exhilarating. I mean, it's, it's just exhilarating. It's, it's no place you'd want to be on the planet for the Olympics and do what I do. And you're right. It is cushy in a way, but it, in, in many ways it's, 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 you know, it's not for the faint of heart because when I'm on the air, dude, I've got, well, you, you've sat on the air with me a couple of times. I have at the Olympics, I have four people talking into my ear, sometimes all at the same time. I've got our producer, Tommy Roy. I've got Dan Hicks, who I have to listen to. 99% of the time and try to block everybody else out. I've got our director and I've got Mike Unger who's in my ear all the time. So I have at least four people in my ear all the time. And sometimes they're talking to me all at once and uh, it can get a little hairy up there, believe me, but, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun and we, we try to do the best we can in bringing, um, bringing the best swimmers in the world to an American audience. 
So you're, if you had those long days, you're, you're rolling into one in the morning and they go, oh, we, we got to pick up some stuff. You got to voice this over. Or you got to do this. I know you've had those moments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sydney <laughs> and Athens. Because Sydney and Athens weren't live now. So they were literally, we were, I didn't go, one, after the second day in Sydney, I didn't go back to the hotel. I stayed at the pool the whole time. We took showers at the pool and never did go back to the hotel um, because we just didn't have time. It was like an hour and a half drive. And so we didn't have time. We just, we just pitched a tent right there in the edit truck and lived there. Um, and same with Athens because we'd have to do post voiceovers. We had to do post edits, but Tommy was so good starting in 04, trying to eliminate that as much as possible. That's why Tommy's the best producer in the business. Um, Peter you didn't Lasser, say his last name. You didn't say his last name. Tommy Roy, Tommy, Tommy Roy. Roy. Yeah. He, he, he produces, uh, uh, he's produced every Olympic since 04. Um, he started in 04 with us. So this will be 4, 8, 12, 16. This will be our fifth Olympics together with Tommy. And uh, of course, Peter Lasser is the all-time great because Peter does every single swimming. You know Peter. Um, but but Tommy is, you know, he makes sure we're, the dude is tough, man. He makes sure we're really prepared. So we don't have to do those voiceovers. We don't have to do those edits. And even in, in um in 12 in London, it wasn't live. And we did very few of those. Almost, I'd say 90% of the calls that you saw from London were live to tape, meaning we didn't have to go back and do any editing. We'd have to do a, a pickup every once in a while, cleanups here and there, but most of it was live. You can you can tell when something is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not live. And it's not live. There's, there's, there is an element that's missing. It doesn't, there it is. there's something You're going, right. there's a strain in your voice box that everybody wants and it's just not there when you're when it when you're faking it right it is it's hard to fake it it is hard to fake and i've had to fake it i've called i've called plenty of races from this little monitor i'm looking at right now um that that was done three weeks ago you know (laughs) so it, it it it's tough because you know you can cheat on splits you know you can do cheat on this and that and uh it makes it harder. I, I don't like it. I never have liked it. Um, but you know, you do it. It has to be done sometimes. Dumb question. You're, you're calling the races. You're stressed. You're nervous. You're a man of a certain age. You got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> what do you do, bud? Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Uh, well, I certainly make sure I pee before, right before the broadcast. I always know where the bathroom's going to be. And, um, I'm pretty good, especially for the Olympics. I'm pretty good at being able to hold it, um, or know when we're going to come back there. The Olympics is pretty well planned. So, you know, when they're going to come back to you, so, you know, you have a chance to slip away for three minutes and go to the bathroom, but it, it has happened to me a couple of times Mel, where I've had to desperately go. And I knew I couldn't go because we were live the whole time. I couldn't move. Uh, so that, <laughs> that was a little tricky. I have to admit. You've experienced the life of, I've a, experienced, of a distance yeah. athlete. Yeah, you had, to, you, just had to, you had you had to make it the entire time. I don't know how a distance athlete can actually. I could, I could never go to the bathroom and swim at the same time. I, I, I never learned how to do that. Um, but some swimmers can. I just never could. No, I don't understand that talent. Nor do I buy it. <laughs> people no, say I that. It's, it's have you had a moment where you you called a race and you're like, I got that completely wrong uh and i'm not calling you out for lee zach no i know this happened i know it's happened it always you, you can't you don't have a crystal ball you get it wrong 
But I mean, if you had it, we're just like, well, I screwed the pooch on that one. And, and you know, can you share it in a funny way? All the time. That's, All not, the that's time. not an answer. I want, I, I want an example. I, okay. So, well, uh, I, I've mis-ID'd lanes before. Uh, I've called out the wrong splits. Um, I've, uh, I've made, I've made so many wrong predictions, uh, on who I think would win the race, who doesn't win the race. Obviously Lee Zach is the number one example. Not only did I say it once, but I said it twice. I just don't think they can do it, Dan. I don't think he can do it, Dan, but in fairness, I think that in a moment like that for that race, that makes it even more dramatic because there's nobody in the building that thought he could. Nobody in the building thought Jason Lezak was going to go 46 flat. So, you know, I, I was wrong, obviously, but in that case, it was pretty cool to be wrong. Um, I think, uh, I think for me, uh, when you, when you do, we call 223 races in, in Rio. When you call that many races, how many times can you say streamline? How many times can you, uh, say he missed that turn how many times can you say he looked to this right too much i mean yeah i mean there's there's times where you just say things and all of a sudden you want to try it say it differently and you mess up you know and and i've messed up plenty um and you know you just you you move on and, and i beat myself up a lot on mistakes i really do and i probably beat up myself up more than i really should um but i've gotten a few things right before that i feel pretty good about too so <laughs> it's uh yeah, you have to play the prediction game, don't you? You gotta, you have to, you have to look in that crystal ball, crunch the yeah. data, and and do it. Yeah, and and I think, I think why that's one reason why it's so great to have Mike Unger um, be a part of the process because he knows so much about the data, and you know Mike so well. He's a, he's a dear friend of both of ours, and uh, and I and I think having somebody like that in your um, back pocket really helps a lot to be able to help fulfill the mission that you're trying to achieve. And that's trying to really bring the viewer into what that race is going to be like and have them follow who you're talking about. Um, because you feel like that's the person you really want to know about both, both from a race technical standpoint, but more importantly, from a story standpoint, you want to build that person's story as much as possible. Cause really that's what the Olympics is all about. Right. It's the same thing for you guys. You, you guys are trying to build these personalities, build these stories on these people. Um, and that's, that's, what's so critical. Uh, it's, it's really, people aren't really going to care what Caleb Dressel goes out and hunter free. I'll talk about that. That's my cat. Sorry. Um, I'll what's your talk cat's, about what, What's that. your cat's name? Nova. If you if you're if you're watching the video, guy, you got if it's uh, he has a beautiful. She just do- she literally just dove right in front of the camera. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so I'm blabbering on like I usually do. Sorry about that. But it it, it is a it, it there are a lot there are plenty of times where I've uh, I've made some um, mayor's mistake. But I will tell you one that one time one thing I've never done. You know the poor Canadian guy that remember that in in the 200 IM in Rio and he called Ryan Lochte the entire race as the winner. I don't know if you you can go back and watch it on YouTube. I felt so sorry for that man. That was the that was the uh, play by play guy, and he literally called Ryan Lochte the whole way. Ryan Lochte wins the gold. I mean, and then all of a sudden you hear this huge pregnant pause um, for like ten seconds, and he goes comes on. I'm so sorry. That was Michael Phelps. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah. I've never done that. I've never done that. I've never gone that far, but believe me, I, it's my biggest nightmare for sure. Okay, Unfortunately, gonna... I'm not play by play. Uh, you know, Dan takes care of that part. So if he messes up, I'm just following right along with him. We should just dig that clip out and, and, and put it on this, uh, at the bottom this podcast as too. No one can ever feel bad when they take a spin behind the mic. Cause this, is, this right. is the benchmark right here. That's right. I felt, I felt terrible for him because I know how he feels, man. You, you get it in your mind, but I don't think I, you know what? I don't really blame him as much as I blame the people that were producing. I mean, somebody should have been yelling in his ear. That's not Mike. That's not Ryan Lockie. That's Michael Phelps. And nobody, nobody did that for him. So he's just going to, he's got it in his mind. And so I felt bad for him. I'm going to get, I would like to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty and get granular, but not, not at this point. I, I still have dumb questions. Have you ever been on a telecast, an important one of Worlds or Olympic Games, and you've got the giggles? Because you, you, know, you, you got the giggles. Because you know, you get, sometimes you get the giggles and you can't lose them. Is that, have you ever experienced the giggles and it's like it, it interfered with your call? Uh, that, and that reminds me of that old, of course, you're too young to remember that old Mary Tyler Moore show where she got the giggles in the church in the funeral um, and she couldn't stop giggling. No, you know what? I, I will say that that's, that's never happened. I'm trying to think. Uh, no, that's never happened to me. But I hated you. I hate you now for even planting that seed <laughs> because just shows you that this summer I'm right in the middle of the Olympic trials, 200 freestyle for women. I'm going to have to start having the giggles. <laughs> but no, I've never had that. Probably too much of a pressure cooker. I, th I think that with, you know, with, with everyone talking, you know, if you, you get your IFB in, everybody's in your ear. You're always thinking ahead. You're trying to stay present on what you're doing. So you call it right. And you're always thinking. I, I, so I, we're, it's not going to happen. So I, there was one time I had the giggles a little bit. It wasn't during a world championship or Olympics, but it was when I interviewed Melanie Margalis. Well, we interviewed, it was my partner and I, we interviewed Melanie after a race and the, the microphone, you know, the, the, um, on the race before that, uh, we, the, the, uh, the mic, uh, broke. So she couldn't hear, excuse me, the earpiece broke. So she couldn't hear us on the headset. It wasn't Melanie, it was somebody else. And so Melanie got wind of that. So on her race, when we interviewed her, she pretended like she couldn't hear us. And we're sitting there going, oh, no, the headset still doesn't work. I'm so sorry. And then she started bawling, laughing, going, ah, I fooled you, Rowdy, gotcha. And so after that, I, I had the giggles for a little while. And I, and I think Jason Knapp was one with me. I go, and I was still laughing on the next race. I go, I'm sorry, Melanie really got us. I mean, I, and I couldn't stop laughing about it, but nothing in a big race. She did get us. So we're, we're on the run up to Olympic trials, we're on the run up to the games. And I, I, it's, do you start research weeks, months in advance? I know, I know that you're in, in a sense, you're always researching because you're, you're always present throughout the pro swim and you're always watching the news. But is there, is there a moment where you're like, I'm studying for exams. I've got to go into the <laughs> vault. Yeah. I mean, fortunately the Olympic year, you're busier anyway with, with more, um, uh, you know, work and, uh, and the Olympic trials certainly helps with that. Uh, and, and yeah, you, you just do more work. You know, you, you read your site, you read every story you can get your hand on and you try to, um, try to prepare the best you can. I call a lot of the athletes. Uh, I talk to them, I text back and forth with them. 
Um, everybody's been really kind in that. I just texted Caleb a few days ago. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, it, it, it helps. And I try not to bug them too much, but, you know, every once in a while, I want to know something like, uh, you know, what, what was it like swimming in lane eight uh, at, at, in Mission Viejo on that one race, uh, the 100 fly, I think it was. So I like to come back to that. But uh, I think, Mel, uh, the bottom line is experience comes into play, meaning experience of doing it over and over again during the Olympic year, especially uh, with Olympic trials, because Olympic trials, you and I both will be, you know, slammed working our butts off. And that helps. That'll help prepare us for the Olympics. Through the bulk of your career, you covered the greatest Olympian of all time. And, uh, and now he's retired. Michael Phelps It's you know, of course we're talking about Michael. And, uh, if you'd asked me, I would say, you know, we're going to have an Olympics where it's not quite the same, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. <laughs> it, it looks like Michael retired. And then this other guy steps into the, you know, steps into his shoes. And, and this could be a really special Olympics for Caleb. It's uh, behind the scenes in terms of production. It's, um, you know, the, the way I look at it is when you, when you have a star that's that big, like a Michael, and, and Caleb is going gonna, is gonna to be on that platform this summer, I think that the television time is the equivalent of, of being like a network series star. Um, you get that amount of time on, ca on camera for the world. And um, so Caleb's going to get that this summer. Is that something, have you ever thought about that? Yeah, you know, he, he's just, it's going to be that poster boy. I mean, like you said, Michael's been that guy for the last four Olympic games anyway. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a completely different look and feel this, this, this games. Uh, you know, Caleb's got a lot of pressure, but he's, he's, uh, he's similar in Michael in many ways. And the fact that, you know, he's so good at having a plan and sticking to the plan. And when, when uh, Dan and I got to interview Michael over like a three-day period um, for this documentary that we did with him, um, you know, it really was a peek into his, um, his work ethic, you know, and his, his plan. He, he just, especially with 08, that, that the, the way he was able to stick to the plan. And I, I think that's what Caleb's uh, been able to do. The, the, the problem with Caleb, and it's not Caleb necessarily, it's just, a perfect storm has to happen again, you know, for even him to think about seven, because he's got, you know, those three individual men, he's got four relays, but the relays have to be good. It, I mean, think about what Michael was one, one hundredth of a second in, in the hundred fly and Jason on the relay. It was just, it was that perfect storm. So I don't, I'm not sure that will ever happen again. Um, but he's our guy, right? Who's the cover of your magazine um, coming up in two months? Or is that a surprise? It'd be Caleb. <laughs> there you go. So it's of good. course, yeah. you know, he's the star and he should be, I mean, I mean, he should be the star. He, he, he deserves to be the star and uh, he, he's a really good guy. He's a, he's a tremendous young man and I hope he wins seven gold medals. That's what I hope. Yeah, me too. In terms of the, uh, in, in terms of just fans sitting on the couch and having that couch experience for trials for the Olympic games, is there, you know, is there something, it's like, if you could sit on that couch with him, instead of just being Rowdy, the announcer, you could sit on the couch with him and eat the popcorn, what, you know, and say, you know, you might, you might be watching Caleb, but what you ought to really be paying attention to is this. This is a, this is a story I'd pay attention to. I don't know if it's going to get the kind of airtime it deserves. Is, 
Do, do you have a story like that in your head? You're like, God, God I wish this were a bigger story, but. Uh, you know, sure. I mean, when you, when you think about, and, and that's one of the criticisms that I get personally, Mel, is the fact that, you know, I'm busy talking about, let's just say Michael Phelps. And here's the guy over in lane six that goes his best time by two seconds. And I didn't even mention his name, you know? Um, and that's what I would be able to do sitting with on the couch with somebody, you know, is you, you really need to watch, uh, you know, Townley Haas, he just went his best time and it really got overlooked with Michael and his, and, and what he did or whatever the case is. And, uh, and that's what I miss, but I have to call what I see, right? I can't call what I'm looking at in the pool. In fact, another peek behind the curtain, about 90% of my call, 80%, 80% of my call comes from this monitor right here. I don't even look at the pool. Rarely do I look at the pool because I have to call what you're watching on TV. I can't be calling the guy in lane eight if we're seeing lane four, you know, for watching Michael, Caleb, or Katie, you know, especially with Katie, you know, it, how do you talk about anybody else with Katie swimming? It's hard because she's out of the picture and you have to follow the leader. So yeah, there's plenty of times where I, and Leah Smith is a great example um, of that in 2016. Here's Leah going 401 or 400 or whatever she went in the 400 and just completely overlooked. And I think I tweeted that the other day that I just am so much appreciative of, of Leah and what she's been able to accomplish during her career. And, it, and it's gone unnoticed and it's, it's unfair, but it's reality when you're dealing with the GOAT, uh, somebody like Katie or, or Michael and, and perhaps now Caleb. For a for the fan that that that's that's sitting there, um, I know that a lot of people like to play the prediction game. And, and just as a side note, I played the prediction game already with Katie Ledecky, and I predicted at trials, you know, she'd go one fifty four, like five in the two hundred mm-hmm. meter free. Well, a mission, she went at what one fifty four four, something like that. I think. <laughs> so I I, I I redid that prediction. So much for that. <laughs> <laughs> I redid that. That's prediction. a good prediction, by the way. One fifty-four five is a pretty good prediction. But she made me look like an idiot. I know. Well, she it makes all of us look like idiots. So she, just yeah. get in line. <laughs> yeah. Is is there is there a is there someone that you, that you expect that that's going to that's going to pop that's going to do something that's unusual? It's uh, what I think about athletes like Shane Cassis. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this guy is the, the, all this new talents on the bubble, Claire Curzan, mm-hmm. um, Tori Husk. Yeah. Tori, yeah. They're, they're just yeah, like, yeah. it's. And then and we that, forget about, uh, like an Alex Walsh or, or, um, oh my gosh, uh, 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 Katie Douglas, um, from Virginia. I mean, who really haven't done much long course yet, but are going to just knock it out of the park. You know, this summer, I think, I think the women's team is unbelievable, dude. We have a really good, I say, I shouldn't say we, that's another thing that we're taught the U S I need to start getting in that mode. Right. Um, the U S has an incredible women's team. Um, the men's team certainly is good. They're great. Um, but they, uh, they don't have the depth like the women. I was talking about it, it was you or somebody the other day about like the women's hunter back. It's just, I mean, the girl that fin- or the woman that finishes sixth could win a medal and she's not even a go, you know, it's just, ridiculous the women's 400 i am it's ridiculous it's just i just feel really really bad for that's why that's why the trials is just so dramatic in so many ways um 
and you, you and I have both been there both personally, and we've observed it now for the last 40 years. Or I've it. observed it 40 years anyway. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not going to say 30. Did you watch British Trials? The UK yeah, trials, Duncan yeah. Scott. They, they had two, two UK stars. Yeah, Duncan and uh, went a one forty four. And Tom Dean. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Uh, I mean, I think they're. You know, the, I think I read it on your site that uh, I think the add up is like seven minutes. So, and the Russians. I mean, it's just. But you know, it's one reason why the U.S. has been number one since nineteen fifty six. I get arguments from my Australian pals about, well, it was back in 2003. We were number one. No, they haven't. The U.S. has been number one since 1956. And any way you look at it, a point system, gold medals, medals, whatever the system you use, they've been number one. And the reason why is because we have this rich tradition of history in our, in our sport that uh, when it comes down to the Olympic Games, we always seem to answer the bell. So um, going 144 in April is a big difference than going 144 in July truth and wisdom from a man who's seen it so many times before is is the hundred free the blue ribbon event your event is that always going to be the most dramatic race because we're looking at the winner top two top four six and seven and eight <laughs> where it, there's just there's just so many calculations in that race yeah and, uh, is, is it always going to be that it's when, when you're here's the thing you're calling the race when you, so you're watching, you're watching your, you know, you're calling what's on screen. So you're watching the leader and you're watching who's, you know, who's there with him in second, third or fourth. I always watch that person who is, is in, I look sixth, seventh and eighth in the hundred free. I'm always watching those swimmers. Cause that is to me, that's the most dramatic and most emotionally heart tugging. So when you, well, you're a good example in 92, so you won gold in 200 flight, but you also won gold in 800 free relay. What place were you at trials in the, in the 200 free? I was third at trials in third the, in trials. 200 free. I, I missed it by, you know, like a fingernail uh, right. of swimming individually. And um, Are so you my, glad that you didn't swim it individually? You think it would have taken the edge off the fly? I, I, I have a very specific reason why I regret my 200 freestyle and my freestyle in general. My coach as early as 1980, around 86, 87 was when we started doing the dolphin underwater. And I like, I was right. a high school, I was a prep school champion in backstroke because it was fly on my back. So I was doing a lot of mm -hmm. underwater dolphin, paying a lot of clo paying close attention to David Burkoff. My coach is like, you've got to do this in freestyle. You need to be going, you know, 10 kicks off really? each in freestyle. Wow. And I, in, in the rhythm just felt funky. It felt weird. Uh -huh. But I, I tried it and I just didn't commit to it. I think had I committed to it, I wouldn't have been 148. I'd have been a 146. Right. So I'd have been. So, do you yeah. think that you think the transition, not to get technical, but the transition from dolphin to freestyle was the, was the hard part then? It was. Because it you were so good underwater in fly. I mean, you were the best in the world. Um, and I, was, I was second to Burkoff. I, I mean, I got, I got Burkoff beat me in the hunter back, excuse me, in the, when you went, in the, we, we went, we, we took what three strokes in the hundred uh, yard backstroke at NC2A championships. Uh, uh -huh. So I swam next to him and oh, I was convinced I didn't know that. that. I, I remember him. that. I was convinced I would beat him and I did not beat him. Right. And he beat me underwater. 
So, uh, but wow. I, but I, but I always got a stroke on everyone because I would kick six or seven dolphins in the 200 fly. Uh-huh. But uh, it, so it was just too awkward. It just, the rhythm felt wrong going from dolphin right, right. To, to flutter. To did not make sense. Right, 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 right. I regret it. I bet. I bet. But who knows, you know, it's like, it's like me. I, I finished seventh. I had the world record in the 200 free and I finished seventh at our Olympic trials in 84. Didn't even make the team in that. And I look back on it and I'm, listen, I'm, I would have loved to have been on the 800 free relay. Believe me. But in hindsight, it might have been the best thing because not making the 200 free means I was fresh going in the 100 freestyle. And I was at the tail end of my career anyway. So not making that 800 free relay, which was the day before the 100 freestyle, probably looking back on it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. That's why I asked you that question. If not swimming the 200 freestyle was a bit of a blessing because you were able to be fresh for that one individual event that you had. For, for, uh, for, yeah. No, no. Right? If, or no, the 100 fly you swam. I saw him hunter fly. I got yeah, fifth. Yeah. I couldn't, right, I couldn't, right. I couldn't, couldn't do but, it. But, but that was after the 200 though, right? Yeah. So the, the hunter fly was after, so the, you know, you'd already won and you said, uh, this is just a, this is just gravy now. So it's, it, it's just the, it's so draining. The Olympics is draining trials yeah, is draining. It is. And, uh, but I, I know that when you're in the bubble, when you're in the lab and you're doing what you do, it's uh, it seems like so much fun and it sounds like so much fun, but it's got to be exhausting. What, what does your life look like right after the Olympics? What, what do you do? Well, from the broadcasting perspective, I, uh, I sleep for about two days. Um, my wife has gone with me on every Olympics except for 04. And that's the one thing that she'll notice, well, you've slept for two days. <laughs> I'm cutting out of bed for two days. So, uh, yeah, it, you definitely you definitely low low for a while, but then you get to enjoy the Olympics. That's what's so great about swimming, is the fact it's the first half of the Olympics, right? So the Olympics is sixteen days long. The swimming is the first eight days. Well, this Olympics will be first nine, but it's the first half, and then the second half you really get to play. Now, I haven't been able to play too much because I've got open water to call too, uh, which is fun. I love doing open water, but it's you know obviously it's you know it's live. There's no prelims. It's just you you know you sit there for two hours and you talk about swimming. So it's a little bit of a different feel, um, and it it doesn't take place until like three days after the swimming. So uh, yeah, you get to you get to enjoy doing you know a nice call like that, and then you get to go to the other events. Um, I, I've always been one to to love the Olympics. Go to beach volleyball. I've been to basketball. I go to a lot of the different sports and try to stay until almost the very end. Is there, is there anything that you guys are going to do new with the telecast that you can share? Any updates? To- uh, well, you, you know that um, the trials, I'm going to be with Mike Tirico, right? Um, uh, Dan is going to be doing the U S open and golf. So we've got Mike coming in. And so that's, you know, for us, for swimming, I say uh, swimming, I mean, swimming, that's cool. Right. I mean, he's the guy that's hosting the Olympics for crying out loud, and he's going to be calling swimming for, uh, for eight days. So that part is really fun. As far as any technical bells and whistles, I don't know of any um, right now. I tell you, trust me, I tell you, if I knew, I don't know of any that we're doing differently for Tokyo. It's just going to be a different look, buddy. You know, um, it, it's, it's going to be a different look all the way around for the whole world. But I think I told you this uh, a year ago when I was on with you. Um, that I think 
when we have the Olympics and it's going to be when, not if I honestly believe there will be an Olympic games this summer, it will be the greatest Olympics in history. Uh, no doubt in my mind it will be because it will be the first chance that our world will come together as humanity as one world. And, uh, and I think everybody will be starving for an Olympic games in five years, summer wise. And I think it's something that, uh, the whole world's going to be looking forward to whether there's one person in the stands or filled with uh, Japanese uh, Japanese fans. It doesn't matter because it's uh, I, I think Michael told me that the other day. If you can't get up for the Olympics, then what can you get up for? Right. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.